0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck and Jerry's here, and this is Stuff You Should Know.
0: <laughs> you were headed right towards something brilliant. That's all. You stop yourself.
1: I yeah, I didn't have anything, so I just no. I just let it die. Right there on the front of everybody.
0: Uh, Hey, before we get going, we want to plug a couple of podcasts Mm -hmm. from our colleagues. Yes. I had a hand in both of these. Nice. Congrats. Sure. I think this is probably the last thing I'll have a hand in ever. Why is that? Are you dying? No. (laughs) I mean, we're all dying. Uh, Nothing imminent, but I don't know. The door, you know, doesn't often knock for voice acting. Mm Mm-hmm. Although you never can tell, but I did a piece of voice acting for Lethal Lit Season Two mm-hmm. premiere. Did it uh, did it. And if you if you don't know what Lethal Lit is, it is uh, technically it's called Lethal Lit colon a Tig Torres mystery season two, and it just debuted yesterday. Season two did, but it is it's great. It's like a sort of a old school Nancy Drew detective, teen detective type of thing. Mm-hmm. But modernized. It's got a little more punch, but, you know, it's still family-friendly.
1: A little more punch. I've seen a little more bite with the emphasis on little. little. (laughs) Um, It's really great. Yeah. So, it is, like, it's the kind of thing from what I understand that, like, adults can enjoy, but it's it's also geared toward, like, younger listeners too, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, they say it's like Nancy Drew for Scream fans. Oh, cool. Uh, But the people who make it are awesome, and... Uh, uh, Heather Einhorn created it a couple of years ago when I was still doing like development stuff Mm -hmm. I met with her and she rang me up a couple of years later and said hey how about doing a a piece of voice acting for the season premiere uh, season 2 and I did and it was so much fun I got to like really get a juicy character acting type of thing I can't wait to hear it Chuck
1: I'm not just playing me Uh, that's great even when you played you I thought you did a good
0: job You're a much better actor than you give yourself (laughs) credit for. This was a lot of fun, though. I wish I could do more of this kind of stuff, but I just, I don't, like, pursue it. But anyway, it was a lot of fun. So you can hear me in season, uh, episode one of season two, which is out now Mm -hmm. on the iHeart Network. And then our buddy Joe Randazzo has a new show that's out.
1: (laughs) Tell him the name. Uh, Dr. Sex Reese. It is not family-friendly. No. Oh, you could have just said Joe Randazzo, and that, that would have right. gotten that across. Not family-friendly. Oh, friendly. A family guy. <laughs> he is one of the great comedic geniuses of our time, but he's not family-friendly. No.
0: No. So it's it's a blue comedy. It's very, very funny, uh, but you don't want your kids listening. But it is about a, a call-in show. He's a sex therapist mm-hmm. who has never uh, had intercourse. <laughs> And that's kind of all you need to say, and it's Joe, so yeah, (laughs) it's great. I mean, you had me at Joe Randazzo, so. Yeah. And that's out now too, right? Uh, It's already out, and I don't think I ever mentioned, in lieu of listener mail one week, I was going to mention it, but I forgot. Okay. Remember when I said I wasn't very into Calvin and and Hobbes, Uh like I never read it? You're right. He he left me a voicemail driving with his three children Mm -hmm. where they sounded like a Fire torch wielding angry mob screaming at me about not getting into Calvin and Hobbes. I told you. I'm gonna share it with you. It's very funny. Like his kids sound like it's like Lord of the Flies level upset. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> his kids aren't Just family friendly at either. Me. <laughs>
2: Chuck, ah, it really funny. <laughs>
0: but cool. anyway, Doctor Sex Reese is already out, uh, and then Lethal Lit, A Tig Torres Mystery, Season Two dropped yesterday.
1: Well, congratulations to everybody. Congratulations I think most of all to you though for appearing <laughs> on Lethal Lit. It was fun. I wish I could voice act a lot. I I have a feeling
0: you're going to get a lot more requests starting now. Well, we'll see. People will be like who was uh who was that guy? I'm not going to reveal anything about it, but okay. I did a a very small part on Squidbillies a few years ago. And oh yeah, I It was never released with me.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's like our kiss of death when you have us on your talk
0: show. <laughs> it gets canceled within a month. No, it wasn't cancelled. It, it no, was no. I think he, I think I think our friend Dave uh, Willis replaced me. I don't think I was very good in that oh, one. You gotta at least he did it quietly. <laughs> I I never followed up with him. I should have asked, but I was ready to go in there and do some good like redneck voice. Mm-hmm. And because I do some good ones. And he said, uh, he's like, no, I just want you just kind of be you. And I went, oh, Dave. <laughs> he just gave me a soda pop and sent me on my way. <laughs> oh, you got a free soda pop? Wow. <laughs> we love Dave and Squidbillies though. So no, no
1: shade there. Okay. So welcome to the podcast for everybody who just fast forwarded through all that and
0: got to no, the part where
1: we started about littering. How about that?
0: Yeah, and this one uh, was one of my picks, and I very simply thought of it recently because I was driving down the road in 2022 You're and like- saw a fully grown adult human throw a bag of trash out their window, <laughs> oh followed God. by a, a cup of fast food soda. Filled with dip spit. So two different th- throws out of the car, and I just thought, my God, who does that? Mm-hmm. And uh, let's let's see if we can find out.
1: And you ran them off the road? <laughs>
0: No, I was just so upset. Though it's just so weird to see someone I, do that. I, you know, I'm really, really working on
1: not letting things trigger or flood me in my sure. starting in my 45th year. Finally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> and uh, I'm very curious how how well I would deal with actually seeing that. Like I'm doing okay hearing about it right now. Like I'm a little jazzed right now, but
0: uh-huh. I got it under yeah.
1: control. Actually seeing it, I don't know how well I could contain myself.
0: I was ticked off, but it's um, I try to let things go quicker, so it's not like hours later I was still like, oh, that guy. Mm. That's good. You know? That's good. Yeah, that's Because you that's, know what? You can't change good. that guy.
1: No, you can't. You can just run him off the road. Yeah. Or find them. If you're a government, sure. I mean, if you had tried to find him, he probably would have laughed in your face. Although I'm saying he, it's just as possible, it turns out, Chuck, at least if this had happened in 2009, that it could have been she, too, huh? Yeah, statistically speaking, that is true, but I saw this guy's ugly face. Mm, I'll bet he was so ugly and stupid. I'll bet his whole family was so stupid. Yeah, I would have been so mad if he was handsome. (laughs) (laughs) Handsome, smart people don't litter typically, unless they're Don Draper. I wouldn't know. (laughs) All right, let's do this. Litter, right? Yeah, I think it was a good pick. One of the things that I love about this episode is it's kind of mind-bending. Um, one of those Bernaysian surprises is is firmed, wedged firmly inside this episode's topic.
0: Mm. do you I'm think? I'm really sure I know what you mean.
1: Oh, sure I do. Okay, I was like, oh god, that's like four pages of this stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I just I, I forgot who Bernays was. I was thinking about the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it sounds good, but confusing. <laughs> uh, should we start with the word? Yeah, let's. I thought that was a good place. Also shout out to Dave Roos for helping us out with this.
0: As always. Mm-hmm. As ever. Sure. So the word litter with one t came from Old French and Middle English meant a bed. Mm-hmm. Uh with two t's it was like a portable bed mm-hmm. that you if you were like a king or somebody you could travel around on one of these and I guess that's where a rescue litter comes from. Exactly. Okay. I thought cuz I've always thought that was such a weird word for it. It
1: is very weird. It doesn't really make any sense, but the use of the word bed for litter makes much more sense because it, it uh, comes from our
0: friends down on the farm. Yeah. <laughs> our farm our farmer friends? Yeah. You mean you're talking about scattering hay?
1: Yeah, like if you if you scatter hay for an animal to sleep on, particularly like livestock
0: or something like that, you would call that their litter. And there you have it. That's where it comes from. Like littering food out of your car derived initially from being a kind farmer and scattering hay for your little goats.
1: Yeah, because along the way somebody equated like scattering stuff on the ground that you wouldn't normally want on the ground with people throwing their trash on the ground. and So litter became used as litter. What surprised me is that um, that this started way back in the 18th century.
0: I would have thought it was a much more recent phenomenon, but
1: no, it isn't.
0: Yeah, Dave found a uh, something from a novel in 1788 that referenced the word "litter" as litter. If she is cutting a piece of gauze or paper, mm-hmm. she's sure to make a litter all over the room. Yeah, so like a mess.
1: It was a literary reference to litter. <laughs> so that's where the word "litter" came from. And I love one. I love. I like the the stories or the etymologies where. There's some really great theories because nobody quite knows, but I find those less satisfying than the ones where it's like, here it is. Here's your answer, Mm -hmm. Fishbowl. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Littering was not as big of a deal here in the United States, and I imagine in other parts of the world, but we're talking mainly about the U.S. with these stats. But um, until the 50s and 60s, because we were generally a culture of reusing things, Mm -hmm. and there were not nearly as many disposable things, Mm Uh, a lot of glass, and, you know, Emily talks about her grandparents in middle Ohio in the 1940s and 50s, and they reused a lot of stuff, and it wasn't, it wasn't, like, because of a green movement. It was just, like, people reuse stuff. Things cost money, and if you weren't, like, wealthy, you reuse things.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was, even if you were wealthy, you typically reused things. Like, if you got milk, you would leave your empty milk bottles out and the milkman would come along and replace the empty bottles with filled-up bottles and would take those other bottles, clean them, and reuse them. Like, that was just how you got milk, whether you were wealthy or poverty-stricken. didn't matter. And that was just the way that society was up until the post-World War II economic boom, where um, thanks to a lot of technology that we developed during the war – uh, all of a sudden, we had packaging that we could produce really cheaply and really efficiently, and no way to make a bunch of money off of them, off of it, uh, until some enterprising, I guess, beverage companies and, and um, disposable packaging companies got together and said, "We've got to figure this out because there's a lot of a lot of money being lost by this deeply inefficient reuse e- economy that we've got."
0: Yeah, and I know I've mentioned this once before, but I'm just 50 years old, and I actually, I mean, we could get milk in the store, but we also occasionally would go to a dairy nearby
2: mm-hmm.
0: and bring milk bottles. It wasn't the milkman coming to your house, but we would go to a dairy mm-hmm. and pull up and get our milk exchanged. Uh, and the other relic from the 70s that you probably remember, too, that you know, younger listeners might be shocked to hear mm-hmm. is the Charles Chips dude. Oh, that that canister of chips? Yeah, you would get potato chips, Charles Chips, delivered. Uh And you would give them your big, uh, you know, it's like a big metal tin Mm -hmm. full of potato chips. And it wasn't like, oh, it was a tin with a bunch of bags of little chips. Mm -hmm. No, it was full of potato chips. And you would get your potato chip delivery. It's crazy to think about We We never had that. I remember the Schwann's delivery
1: person. And then prior to... mm, 1990, if you wanted bottled water, it meant that somebody showed up at your house with like a 5 or 10-gallon jug of yeah. water, and you had a little water dispenser. That was bottled water before, and
0: those were all reusable. Yeah, we'll probably speak ill of single-use plastic bottles of water.
1: Well, I think you should. Throughout. I think anybody, any sensible person sees the disposable packaging that, that um, really kind of drives a lot of our our economy and a lot of the products that we buy as really problematic. And litter is just one aspect of it, but it's a pretty big aspect of it. But I think what we're saying here in total to begin is that litter is actually a fairly recent phenomenon starting in maybe the 50s, the 1950s.
0: Yeah. And Dave also points out that not only were we reusing things and just not having as many disposable items, but there weren't trash cans all over the place. Yeah back then either like there are now and there weren't signs that say hey you know it's weird to throw stuff just on the ground when you leave mm-hmm. uh and he he did reference that madman episode which is very funny i remember when it happened the drapers were on a picnic and they got up afterward and don threw his beer bottle in the woods mm-hmm. and betty shook the litter off the blanket <laughs> right onto the grass right. in the park and then they got in their car. It's hysterical. And just leave it there, yeah. I, I, the one
1: that always gets me is the man thing where they're all eating McDonald's and walking and they just all throw their trash Yeah,
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, there was a time when that was, I don't know if it was ever acceptable, but it was certainly not like it is now no. as far as, you know, you were, like, shunned.
1: Not frowned upon, but it didn't take very long for people to say, like, this is this is objectively ugly. Like, even if you you were not taking the environment into account, which they certainly weren't at first. But in, like, the 50s and 60s, there were still people that were like, it, this looks terrible. And there yeah. were even, like, farmers apparently in Vermont were complaining that people were just throwing their glass bottles out the, out the window. Because, by the way, even though you could still reuse some of stuff, the stuff, the the companies producing these, um, these um, goods that were in, like, disposable packaging they were they were encouraging people to th- just throw this away like there were mm-hmm. there was um oh what's the name of that uh podcast or that NPR show throughline? They did yes. a really great uh, episode on on what we're talking about here the development of teaching people to throw stuff away. There were actual like ads and commercials and pSAs that taught people like okay, when you're done with this. Just throw it away. You don't have to figure out a way to reuse it or wash it out. or You can just throw it away. And, like, people had to be taught that, which kind of goes to show how unnatural the whole thing is. But it, but my point is, is that even at the time, Chuck, um, there were people who had problems with littering from the outset, even if it wasn't, like, a massive thing at that point, uh, like a, a society-wide issue.
0: Yeah, and God bless Vermonters, Uh, You mentioned the farmers there with a broken glass for their cows, Mm -hmm. but they sponsored and and got past the first what would be known as bottle bills uh, when in 1953 they banned throwaway bottles. And this is where, you know, the writing was on the wall for the beverage industry in particular. was like, uh uh-oh, you know, Vermont, they're a bunch of hippies, sure, but we can't let this catch on and get our product banned Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be in big trouble and I guess we'll take a break maybe because mm-hmm. that's a great cliffhanger sure and dive into our Bernaysian nightmare right let's do it alright we'll be right back
1: well now when you're on the road driving in your truck why not learn a thing or two from Josh and Chuck it's stuff you should
0: know stuff you should know alright
1: we've we're entering that Bernaysian nightmare now chuck it's like a giant goya painting of corporate interests
0: <laughs> this one's tricky because it is a Bernaysian nightmare and we're talking about the the creation of keep america beautiful yeah uh but it it all like i have I a have very mixed feelings because the whole thing with keep america beautiful is is a lot of big beverage companies got together, Dixie Cup, Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. Owens, Illinois, Glass Company, American Can Company, and they said, all right, we got to fight these bottle bills. Um, and the way we're going to do it is through a PR spin to tell everybody that it's their responsibility to not litter. And in a way, it's a sort of an evil plan. But in another way, I'm like, yeah, you should be individually responsible to not do that. right? But then also beverage companies also have a responsibility that they completely shirked. So I get it, but I also think people have a personal responsibility. You know what I mean?
1: I, I think that's a very sensible way of looking at it because I agree with it fully. Okay. Like, I yes, it, like there's nothing wrong with them coming up with Keep America Beautiful and teaching people to not litter. And then in conjunction with that, actually – putting those garbage cans out and putting, you know, creating like a, a public service campaign that taught people like, don't be a litter bug. If you if you litter, you're unpatriotic. They basically used every angle they could think of. The problem with it that everybody has an issue with once you find out about this is that it was the motivation, the intent behind it. It wasn't to to beautify America. It was to keep the train, this disposable packaging train going. Right, like, yeah. hey, everybody, stop throwing this stuff on the ground, or else we're not going to be able to make this anymore, but even more than that they they took the they took the spotlight off of the question, why is there so much disposable right. packaging to begin with? Why don't we go back to reusable stuff? That was yeah. working, and these companies are like, no, 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 we we are making fifty times more money with this disposable stuff because you guys are buying way more, and then um. And then it put the the spotlight onto the the individual person. It said, it's your responsibility. Stop asking about disposable packaging and just start focusing on your civic duty to not litter.
0: Yeah, and you sent me an article that had an interesting bit that and we'll cover some more stuff in this time period, but by the early seventies, some more of these bottle bills. Uh, were happening, and they weren't so much banning things, but it was like, hey, let's incentivize people to come back and turn in their Mm -hmm. knee-high grape bottle for five cents, Mm -hmm. which I also remember doing when I was a kid sometimes. Me too. And in 1974, California was considering a bottle bill, and Keep America Beautiful was like, whoa, this is big time, because that's a huge economy out there. Mm -hmm. And they actually publicly opposed the measure for the first time. And there was a a leaked story about the chairman of the American can company, William F. May, called Bottle Bill Supporters Communists. (laughs) Yeah. And this is when the EPA pulled out and a bunch of environmental groups pulled out of Keep America Beautiful and were like, oh – that's like the light was kind of shining in on them for the first time.
1: Yeah, that that like oh these guys aren't really, you know, environmentally conscious. They're it's, this is strictly greenwashing for them. It was the first greenwashing attempt and it was super successful too.
0: Yeah, they spent 14 million dollars over a 5-year span in the early 90s to defeat a national bottle bill. So Keep America Beautiful does some great work uh but it's you know you got to know what goes on behind this stuff you know
1: That's absolutely true and that's good that they are doing good work because they they are basically the sole source for data about littering in America at at very least they're the most robust source but as Dave puts it um it's bankrolled by corporate interests Yeah but the people conducting these these um these studies are actually like environmental engineers and they're disinterested bodies, insofar as you know they're still scientists, although they're being paid like they're not cooking the books no and uh, you know i mean like yeah it's it's a very like i I'm just writhing right here i i can't I, <laughs> I just want this to be clear, like should I hate keep america beautiful or not right but, um but but I don't because they are. They have had a huge effect on littering, demonstrably, a big effect on on reducing littering and teaching people not to litter. It's just, again, for their bottom line. So that's the problem.
0: Right. And they are still the number one largest anti-litter organization on planet Earth. So there's something to be said for that. Uh, and they've had many ways to get their message out there over the years. I think their first a uh, little mascot was Susan Spotless <laughs> who talked about who shamed litter bugs early on mm-hmm. uh and then you know we i don't remember what episode but very on and stuff early on and stuff you should know we talked about the what it was known at the time the crying indian mm-hmm. psa mm-hmm. do you remember why we would have talked about that mm. Mm, No, I don't. 11 years ago? (laughs) I cannot. I I have no idea why that would have come up. Well, what was the deal with that? It was sort of fake on many
1: fronts, right? It was. I mean, one of the big things was that Iron Eyes Cody, who was known for a while as America's favorite Indian, was not Native American by any way, shape, or form. He was actually a Sicilian-American actor. Oh! That's a big one. Yeah. that people definitely at the time didn't know. Um and that was problematic not just because this guy was Sicilian, um but that also the the native american that was being used in this ad, the very image of the native american was was just totally co-opted by the this corporate group to again shame you into not littering, to for you to feel bad, not them f- to feel bad, for you to feel bad for littering. Um, and it it also, the, the other thing that I saw that was a big critique of is that if you'll notice, like the, the Native American, Iron Eyes Cody, um, or the character doesn't speak. He's spoken yeah. for by a narrator. Um, and so he's he stands mute, which I saw as a, a testament to his powerlessness.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you don't know what we mean, you can find it on YouTube still. It was a, a minute-long commercial where it showed this. Native American in full, you know, sort of traditional garb, paddling a traditional Native American canoe Mm -hmm. through what looked like the Cuyahoga River in Ohio. I know it wasn't (laughs) there, but it it couldn't have been any more industrial. With this sort of war chant kind of music playing in the background, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was kind of wrong on many levels, you know, through today's lens. But, you know, he's getting more sad as he sees uh, how poorly the water is uh, treated and the the shoreline, and then he finally gets out and a bag of fast food is tossed from a car and explodes at his feet with seemingly an entire order for like a family of five of fast food. <laughs> it's so much food. Uh-huh. It's like, did no one eat anything out of that bag? <laughs> yeah. And, and then, then the, the single tear once you see his face. Yeah,
1: they pan up and and his face is there and it's he's crying. Which um, may have been
0: fake as well, right? Yeah,
1: I think it was a glycerin concoction yeah so um yeah what's what's not great uh, under today's in today's view was like award-winning and groundbreaking back in 1971 when that ad came out and it had an effect it had a huge effect the um the uh ag council who i helped produce that psa apparently had to send out replacement reels because the yeah. original ones were getting worn out because they're being played so often as the the long-standing anecdote goes but
0: if you It ran you're, forever too.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't remember the last time I saw it, but I definitely saw it on TV at some point as, you know, a cognizant person. You know?
0: Right. It's so it was created in 71 and it was I remember seeing it throughout the 1970s.
1: hmm So if and if you're like, was it really effective? Stop and ask yourself if you feel guilty at the thought of littering or at l- the act of littering itself. Yeah. And if your answer is yes, it's because the um, Keep America Beautiful group did a really good job putting the personal responsibility of not littering onto us.
0: Yeah, which again, it does make sense that like, uh, it, it's just a shame it couldn't have been sort of a hand in hand type of approach.
1: Right. The Park Service also got into it too, Chuck, with um, Woodsy the Owl. Did you see that that uh, that clip I sent you? That ad. Yeah, I, I used to love Woodsy. Sure. How could you not? Give a hoot, don't pollute. Yeah. I got a Wood sea sign at uh, my camp. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. I like the 70s version. Have you seen the updated version?
0: Mm, no, I don't think so.
1: He's kind of buff. He looks like he could beat you up. <laughs> oh, He's man. almost like buff in the way that Ned Flanders is buff. <laughs> like a wholesome buffness that is strangely menacing. Weird, a buff owl.
0: Yeah, yeah. Great, great point. The other thing that Keep America Beautiful was successful at was lobbying for litter laws. Uh, and so you know, now there are all kinds of fines for uh, both littering and the most reprehensible kind of littering, which is dumping. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite bands of all time, Granddaddy, has a song called Broken Household Appliance National Forest, mm-hmm. where uh, Jason Lytle's a big uh, outdoorsy guy, and he. their lyrics are about like, you know, a forest just littered with, with appliances and animals living in them, and uh, and it's not like admon- it's obviously admonishing tongue in cheek, but he's sort of like you know it's got a nice a nice home for a bunny inside of an oven door, and you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But dumping is just there. There's a spot in my neighborhood where people will still dump stuff. Uh, you know, it's like if you find a spot of woods with a creek, like you might find a couch in there one day. It's awful.
1: Right, that's dumping. It's usually, it's. Either, like, 500 pounds is usually the standard or a certain size, like, so many cubic feet or something like that. But Ugh. it's, like, trash, trash plus, basically. Yeah. And that's the ones where, like, you can get a, a really big fine or even jail time. I think in Tennessee you can get up to six years for dumping. Um, and in most states, if you dump for commercial purposes, like you're a junk hauler mm-hmm. and you go dump in the woods – no matter how much or how little you dump, you can get jail time for that and a pretty stiff fine. I think in Maryland it's like thirty thousand dollars, and of course it should be that way. Um, the problem is, is like the the I think the fine for littering is either not enough to deter mm-hmm. people who do litter still. Or uh, it's unevenly applied, apparently, like like jaywalking. Remember we talked about in the short stuff episode that jaywalking tickets are not, not distributed equally among the races in America?
0: Yeah, same deal with uh, littering, right?
1: Yeah, same thing.
0: So uh, you, they can take your driver's license. Mm-hmm. If you litter from a car in certain states, you can have your vehicle taken away. I think that's <laughs> only for dumping, not like throwing your uh, fast food out the window. I, no, huh? But they should. Take your car. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: I guess if you drove your car to the woods and had 500 pounds of McDonald's packaging in your
0: <laughs> in your car, they could take your car. Uh, we do have a lot of statistics, though. And Dave gave us statistics from two years, uh, 2009 and then 2020. And we'll mm-hmm. explain why in a second. Uh, but in 2009, their big study said that there were 51.2 billion pieces of litter Along America's roadways alone, just on the side of the road mm-hmm. uh that's more than sixty seven hundred pieces of litter per mile uh and ninety percent of that was less than four inches uh and I think thirty eight percent of that is is cigarette stuff, cigarette packs, cigarette butts, yeah, old dip cans, I think
1: lighters falls under that um yeah. tobacco product category, so tobacco products. Um, or far and away the, the most littered uh, thing. But cigarette butts are far and away the most littered part of tobacco products, too.
0: Yeah, and I think litter uh, cigarette butts are the, the last holdout for people who ordinarily wouldn't litter that, that justify it. Mm-hmm. Like, I will see cigarette butts flying out of a car with a environmental license plate. <laughs> I've seen it, and I'm just like, what is going on here? Green Daddy and- would be so mad at you. <laughs> I think people justify it. They don't want a lot. Well, a lot of cars don't even have ashtrays anymore. Mm. Uh, like, I think you have to request one. Mm-hmm. And people don't want them stinking up their car. So they'll just throw them outside. It's true. It is true. There's just no
1: way around it. I can't tell you how many cigarette butts I littered in my lifetime. I,
0: you I have made your penance, though, my friend. Huh? You have paid your penance. I probably threw fast food out the window when I was 14. You know? It's shameful. We're more evolved. Well, thanks for for letting me off the hook. I feel great now. <laughs> You're like you threw fast food trash out the window. <laughs> right?
1: You monster. In what year? I 1986? just threw out hundreds of thousands of cigarette butts.
0: <laughs> we'll talk more about the negative effect of tobacco products, but uh, the other year Dave sent us was 2020, and it said, "Oh, look, things have decreased by 54 percent mm-hmm. from 2009, and cigarette butts even dropped." Uh, from 18 billion to 5.7 billion. I believe but that. <laughs> the caveat, well, a lot of people, not as many people smoke, so that right. makes sense. But it was also during the pandemic, like the height of the pandemic. Right. And nobody was driving. So I don't even know why they did a study that year unless they wanted to sort of shine the, the metal on their chest.
1: That's what I think. I think so because you I think? think if you, yeah, I mean, like you'd have to be silly to, to conduct a study like that and not think like, oh, these results are going to be skewed. Everybody in the middle of 2020 knew any data that came out of 2020 was going to be unusual. So they, so, hey,
0: let's get out there and, and count the it, trash.
1: Exactly, let's show everybody that this this disposable packaging thing's not a problem anymore. Because I hear
0: the I hear them getting mad about it again. I wonder how they do that. Do they just count a certain number of miles in different places and then extrapolate it? Uh, So, I know in the 2009
1: methodology, I believe they used the same one for 2020, but they selected 240 different roadway segments.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: They did 300 feet by 15 feet segments, so basically right along the shoulder of the road for quite a ways. 240 of those in different parts of the country. And they literally counted every piece of trash, and they divided them up into two sizes, four inches and bigger Mm-hmm. And then less than four inches. And again, in in any category or like overall, cigarette butts were far and away the most. But if you then go kind of take it down to the um, four inch or less category, it's like all cigarette butts basically. But that's right. that's how they did it. And then they they um, did the math and extrapolated to the the amount of roadway in the United States, and that's right. where they came up with those numbers. So any stretch of road that you're driving down in America, on each side has probably about sixty seven, sixty eight hundred 6,800 pieces of trash just sitting there.
0: I mean, I know you already said it, but I think it bears repeating. Great. Uh, the, if we wanted to break down percentages more, you have paper litter was about 21.9%. Mm-hmm. Uh part of the big problem there is what's called instant litter, mm-hmm. which are those dumb free newspapers and flyers that nobody wants.
1: Yeah, but somebody, like, put some effort into laying it out and designing it. You know, even – it's just sad for them to a certain extent, but it is – nobody wants it.
0: It's true. I mean, it's a job. Sure. Sure. Instant litter, though, if you're <laughs> – that's a good TV character, or movie characters. Like, what do you do for a living? I'm a copywriter for Instant Litter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Feel great about that. Yeah, that uh, sounds like else? a plastic. character from Reality Bites. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, plastic is another obviously big problem. Uh, they come in in third at 19. percent That's surprising. Yeah, I mean, that's what that it was that much or that little. I,
1: that that yeah, I thought that percentage was a little low. I thought its share would probably be more, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, because plastic isn't just a plastic bottle. Like, that's an obvious thing, but Mm -hmm. any tiny, like, plastic gum wrapper, any little piece of plastic is counted as plastic, obviously.
1: Fritos wrapper,
0: that's plastic, plastic film. Mm
1: -hmm. That's not foil? No. It's shiny Mylar plastic film. Yeah, like a balloon. Exactly. You can blow it up and take it to
0: your kid's birthday and say, happy birthday, here's a Frito balloon, chump. Uh almost six percent metal, about four and a half percent glass, and then four point two percent is organic litter, uh, which we should talk about quickly because a lot of people think oh, I can just throw my apple core and my banana peel out the window. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't do that.
1: No, this is this is something that like I I could have guessed, but I would still once in a while throw like an apple core or something out like
0: that. Well, do you want to share why we shouldn't do that?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. One, um, and this this is why I did it. I thought it was quickly and easily biodegradable and compostable, and that at the very least, if it wasn't eaten, it just went away pretty quickly. And there was a study done in Grand Canyon National Park um, that where the, the, the scientists who used to hike around the park buried, like, an orange peel, a banana peel— And what was the other thing? Like a Kleenex, I think? Chewing gum and a Kleenex. And left them for six months and came and dug them back up and nothing. There was like basically no change. Like the banana peel turned like dark brown or black. That was about it. Like, they they had not decomposed at all, so that kind of, like, does away with it. And, yes, it was in the Grand Canyon, so I'm sure in, like, the Florida Everglades, it would probably decompose more. But the point is it's not not decomposing in any really quick manner. And then secondly, Chuck, apparently, if that other thought I had where it's like, well, you know, an animal would love this apple (laughs) core, they don't. And even if they do, they shouldn't really have it
0: anyway, right? Yeah, and just a quick uh, correction. She didn't actually bury it. She left it out in a in a cage, so it was exposed to the elements where animals could get to it. She did both. There was a second part where she buried it.
1: I was oh, setting okay. you
0: up for the first part. Oh, okay. Well, the, the first part is, yeah, she left it. In, it was an open cage, so it's not like they were trapping animals. But <laughs> right. I think the point is no animals were eating it, uh, or at least not as much as people thought. But mm-hmm. it's not good for them. Mm-hmm. It teaches them to hang around roadways, And uh, near trails and stuff like that, um, instead of, you know, getting their regular natural organic diet, like, deep into the woods. Right. Uh, And it looks bad. You know, that black banana peel is going to be there for a while. Yeah, it's
1: true. One of the other problems with litter, that the impact it has on wildlife, there's an estimate that's kind of bandied about all over the place, uh, is that about a million animals a year die from litter. I believe in the United States alone. Uh, a lot of them are aquatic animals. Uh, we talked about, like, ghost fishing. That definitely would qualify as, as aquatic litter. Mm-hmm. But also, like, if you throw a bottle out or something, an animal might crawl in there and it can't get back out. There's a lot of dead animals that you'll find, like, trapped inside a can or a bottle, which is a really direct harm that your litter can can leave on wildlife as well.
0: For sure. I think the, the takeaway here... In terms of food, is just like, don't just don't throw anything on your walk or out of your car. Nothing. Pack it in, pack it out. That's yeah, the, then mantra. you're all set. You've done everything right.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, I'll never throw an apple core or an orange peel or a banana peel out anymore.
0: And you know what I always say. There is no apple core. Eat the whole thing. I, I know.
1: <laughs> well, then I would throw out my uneaten portion of apple that I could eat the if stem. I were <laughs> crazy. Throw away the stem and the seeds. Maybe a
0: new apple tree will grow in its place. Yeah. I would love to grow an apple tree. I love apples. Should we take Joshy Appleseed? Mm-hmm. Should we take a break? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. We'll be right back with Litter.
1: Well, now, when you're on the road driving in your truck, why not learn a thing or two from Josh and Chuck? It's Stuff You Should Know. Stuff You Should Know. All right. Bye. Bye.
0: The other thing that Keep America Beautiful does is they try and figure out who these people are. Uh, They've done phone surveys uh, in the 1960s. I think 68 in a telephone survey, 50% of Americans said that they littered. Uh, 15% said they did in 2009. Mm -hmm. Take that for what it is. It's a phone survey. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they also sort of scope out areas near convenience stores and fast food restaurants and city sidewalks. And they just look at behavior. And, uh, this in 2009, that same study, they found it was close to 10,000 disposal behaviors that they looked at. Mm -hmm. And 17% of those were litter behaviors and 81% of those litter behaviors were on purpose. Yeah. They call them notable intent. Like I'm throwing it out the window. It was not, it's not something that flew out of my car by accident. Exactly. Um, uh
1: and the way that they they came up with notable intent was was there a, a, like a garbage can in easy access or was there right. a, like an ash can in easy access uh that was visible and the people saw it and just didn't use it anyway um there's a, a they and like a significant portion of people who litter just just litter they they Just do it anyway, even though there's plenty of, like, trash cans or ash cans right there. Um, And then the other percentage, the other 15% of people who littered did it in the context of there not being a trash can nearby or uh, slightly less acceptable that um, there was one, but it was really far away. It was all the way over there, (laughs) you know?
0: (laughs) Well, and the other one, too, is uh, what fell into context, and this is something – it fell into context, and this is something you sent some other stuff about, mm-hmm. is that people are more likely to litter when they see other litter.
1: Yeah. So like the,
0: oh, this place is dirty anyway. There's people that um that study this stuff, the psychology
1: of littering. There's a that that study I found was I think from nineteen ninety, if I'm not mistaken. And they these social psychologists, um Cialdini, Reno, and Calgreen, they they basically set people up by taking them to a parking deck.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the parking deck was either heavily littered or it was spotless, right? So those were those were two variables. And then in each instance, the people saw somebody litter, one of those instant litter flyers in either a heavily, heavily littered parking deck or a non-littered parking deck. And then they were sent back to their car and their car had that same flyer, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, they were. They would see whether the people would litter based on having seen somebody else do it, and then whether it was a, a clean place or a, a heavily littered place. And they found that seeing somebody litter in a heavily littered place made them much, much likelier to litter. Yeah. But that the people. This is the I think the most interesting thing. People who saw this person litter in a in a clean parking deck. Mm-hmm. were far less likely to litter. They were the least likely to litter. So it's uh, like seeing somebody else violate this social norm strengthens an individual's sense of responsibility to not violate that norm themselves. Like it, it ticks them off and mm-hmm. makes them less likely to to litter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if you if you have an already littered place, it's it's going to attract more litter. Litter begets litter.
0: Yeah. I, I sort of littered recently. In a way, on my way into the SEC championship game here in Atlanta, we were, you know, like everybody was walking with their beers toward the stadium. Mm -hmm. And there was one part where they funneled you through what I guess was um, our MARTA, our subway systems property. Mm -hmm. And so there were people there that were like, you can't take this through there. And everyone was like, oh, geez. And there were probably 1,200 beer cans on the sidewalk right there Mm -hmm. because they were saying, drop it right here. Didn't have cans or anything, and then on the way out, every single one of those cans was gone, so they cleaned them up during the game, Mm -hmm. and it was, I guess, part of the plan, but it was very strange to just throw your beer can on the ground because you are being told to. Sure. Litter. Do it. (laughs) Yeah, and also everyone, you know, power drinking at the end like a bunch of dopes.
1: Right, but that oh, get, but no, can't waste a half a beer. <laughs> but knowing somebody's going to clean it up also influences the likeliness, the likelihood that you're going to litter. It makes it, it increases the likelihood you'll litter.
0: Yeah, like, like a park that you know is maintained or whatever.
1: Yeah, for me it was always a movie theater. Yeah. Until somebody was finally like, you still just don't leave it there. Just throw no. it away. Like it, the trash can is right on the way yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, this is got... before they had the big prominent <laughs> trash cans. Like they had small, you know, slender little trash cans. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, but yeah, I, I I did that for many many years.
0: Yeah, I wondered th- about that today. If people would be more responsible in movie theaters if they didn't clean up between movies, and you walked in and saw a bunch of old garbage, right? And you were like, "Oh, what's that doing here?" And right. if they said, "Like, sorry, we're not cleaning up your, we're not your parents." <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's like a, a poorly handmade sign from somebody that says yeah. this this office is not your, your parents' house. You got to do your own dishes.
0: I was always good at movie theaters because I've always had a, a guilt of, uh, and Hodgman talks about it a lot, is being aware of the, the work you leave for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know, and I even had people to be like, they come in here and clean it. And I was like, well, that's one less popcorn bag that they have to clean up then. It's like, it's fine. True.
1: Yeah, but you people should would never, argue with
0: me for doing it.
1: Yeah, and you should never encourage somebody to litter anyway like, you no. know. It's true. Like, yeah, I don't think I would have told you to just go ahead and litter. No. Who knows? I don't you know. You just thought I was weird. But the um the the I think to answer your question though, Based on the studies I've seen, the more litter you found in a, in a movie theater, the more likely you'd be to just litter on top of it.
0: Oh, well, I guess
1: that makes sense. So, it could be self-defeating. Again, it's you want to make a, a strong social norm against littering, and then you want to keep places clean— and then in that context, if you see somebody littering, you're far less likely to litter. That's the, that was, that's like the, the perfect storm of non-littering from what right. I saw. Yeah, yeah. But um, I have one more thing, Chuck, about the, um, that, that 2009 Keep America Beautiful study. You said that uh, they yeah. were hanging around like convenience stores and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they would observe some people littering. I think they observed like 23 people littering, um, or no, they observed like almost two thousand. I can't remember what the what the point was. No, no. Okay, I'm sorry. I got this. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> so they would actually do these interventions. I think they did about a hundred of them, where they would go up to people in the like convenience store or in the parking lot or whatever, and just ask them about littering. And some of those people, I think twenty three of them, they had just seen litter and they mm-hmm. didn't go confront the people about littering they just went and surveyed them and pretend they they hadn't seen it so they would ask everybody have you littered within the last month and oh, like man. 8 of those 23 people said no i have not littered in the last th- last <laughs> month even though the the study person had just seen them litter they lied about it so it makes you wonder about the veracity of that phone survey you mentioned earlier
0: i wonder if they said no i haven't littered in the past month except for just a matter no What did you say, sir? Nothing, nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Uh, To button up the cigarette butt thing, uh, they are plastic as well. They are not biodegradable. Uh, They're made of cellulose acetate, and they take decades to break down. And it's also tobacco products, which has nicotine and arsenic and heavy metals and all kinds of nasty toxins. And those get in the soil. Those leach into the ground. Those fall into a waterway. Mm -hmm. Those get made into a bird's nest, and it's poison. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a researcher that did an experiment where they put one cigarette butt in a gallon of water, uh, and that was enough to kill half of the fish inside, just a cigarette butt floating and dissolving in there.
1: Right, and not just from the plastic, from like the nicotine, the heavy metals, the arsenic, all the stuff that gets trapped into a used cigarette butt once a full cigarette's been smoked through it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Kills the fish.
0: Kills half of them. That's uh, – <laughs> right. so if you're the person with the Keep America Beautiful sticker on your car and you're throwing your cigarette butts <laughs> out the window because you don't like the smell, yeah, eh, just do a little soul searching. Um,
1: Dave turned up a company called Green Butts that uh, has come up with um, truly compostable cigarette butts made of like manila hemp and flax and I think cotton – and they have it so ready that tobacco companies would, would simply have to buy them and put them in their assembly lines, make no change whatsoever. And apparently it hasn't taken off, I'm guessing, because of cost. That would be my guess,
0: too. Yeah. Uh, if you want to fix littering, stop littering. That's step one. Uh, you can go a step further and pick up trash. Yeah, step we two. We have a, a program in our neighborhood Uh, like an official program where neighbors get together like once a month and do it. Uh, And there, and I donate my pickup truck to, uh, to haul the trash away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we pick stuff up on our walks all the time. And you can, uh, the Swedes invented something called plogging, which is where you take a bag with you when you jog and pick stuff up. Uh, So, you know, pick stuff up if you can. I do that sometimes.
1: Not every time. Take a little baggie
0: with you on a walk. Yeah. More like a, like a grocery bag. And I think there's still bottle deposit laws here and there, too, right?
1: Yeah, there's like 10 states that have it, which, I mean, that's good. That's definitely a start. Uh, 10 states in Guam, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to leave you guys out. Um, And that, that, I mean, that's a good way to go. It's getting back to reusable. And the fact that that structure is already there means you can easily adopt it in other states. You just get it started. And some of those states probably used to do it before. but. I think the upshot of the whole thing is is like until we do something about the source of litter yeah. which is actually um disposable packaging until we do something about that we're we're always going to have a problem with it like it's yes. just never going to go away yeah because even we're if sure. you don't mean to litter sometimes it just happens like if you're a garbage truck or you're hauling your your trash. In the back of a pickup truck and some of it flies yeah. out. Like that that counts as litter and that happens quite a bit. So it we need to focus start focusing more on the supply side, not just the consumer side.
0: I slung a Christmas tree out of the back of my truck the other day under the middle of Memorial Drive. That's litter. <laughs> I pulled up to a stoplight and this people were honking at me next door and I was like, What? And they said, You dropped your tree back there. I went, Oh, thank you. <laughs> right. You're like, go Well, go get it. it. <laughs> I'll be I'll wait here. Yeah, it was uh and Memorial Drive is busy and fast. Yeah. By. What a way to go out getting hit by a car, pulling my old Christmas tree out of the street. Merry
1: Christmas.
0: <laughs> There's the headline. Little known podcaster <laughs> dies trying to do the right thing.
1: <laughs> you got anything else?
0: I got nothing else. Don't litter. That's
1: it. That's a good one to, to wrap it up with, Chuck. Uh, and since Chuck said don't
0: litter, uh, it's time for Listener Mail. I'm going to call this uh, funny bone follow-up. Okay. Uh, and this is from, who is this from? A doctor of physical therapy. Okay. Has answers. Chuck has said when he goes to get a massage and the massage therapist rolls something up and down then his hand curls up and in, you were thinking this had to do with a nerve. Actually, it's because of a length uh, tension relationship with the flexor muscles in your arm. Uh, the tendons of your forearm muscles are very long and run through the carpal tunnel allow tension to be applied through the tendon when you want to bend your wrist. This also means, however, that when enough pressure is applied to the muscle belly, uh, love that term. Yeah, that's great. It causes a motion similar to a muscle contraction that allows for the wrist to bend. Uh, You also question why cubital tunnel syndrome and tennis elbow weren't called the same thing. It's because they're very different. Uh, Cubital tunnel syndrome refers specifically to the ulnar nerve being entrapped by tissues or swelling within the cubital tunnel, whereas tennis elbow uh, is actually an injury to the extensor tendons in your forearm. Hmm. It is a tendinitis.
1: I see. That would explain and that, that, is, that uh, for
0: sure. Samantha, the doctor of physical therapy in northern Wisconsin.
1: Muscle belly? Am I t- dreaming? Is that really what was just said?
0: <laughs> muscle belly. Our new band. That's pretty would be tank. like Daft Punk, just the two of us. <laughs> That's right. You'd be muscle, I'd be belly. Or like sparks. <laughs> yeah. I love S- how into the sparks you are now. So, uh, yeah, I was just
1: listening to number one song in heaven album before this. Cleaning I think the they're touring now again. So. They are, as a matter of fact, Chuck, and they're coming to Atlanta. You going? I don't believe we're going to be around to make it. Oh, muscle belly. <laughs> uh, if you want to be like Samantha and let us know some great new term, plus a bunch of other physiological information, we love that kind of thing, you can send it to us via email at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com.